I gotta wrap it up, guys. You gotta, gotta gather. I'll see you soon. Does the president like meatloaf? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I would. What, what's the What's the phrase? I would do anything for love. Is that part of it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He might say that. I would do anything for love. We've arrived at a great moment in time. Intersections of space and time. Guess what time it is? It's Friday! <laughs> Jack Riccardi, 4 till 7. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. KTSA News Time is 407. Good afternoon. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to the late afternoon show on KTSA, or as a lady once described it, your dreadful little show. And that's it. That's what we've got. We're going to get you into the weekend with our dreadful little show. A lot to talk about, and then we'll talk restaurants on The Dish coming up in our 6 o'clock hour here on KTSA. So, a funny thing is happening to a lot of doctors who, over the last two years, you know, if you're a doctor, especially if you're an epidemiologist, I mean, I'll say it because you'd be embarrassed to say it, the last two years have been the greatest two years of your life. You've you've never been more in demand. You've never had more media interest. You've never had more people want to friend you and follow you and hang on your every word. I mean, you know, this is nerd heaven for epidemiologists, right? And so a lot of them amassed these great fan bases. You know, they're they're superstars, not just Fauci. I mean medical experts in every part of the country and maybe they're the regional expert or they're the expert that the media in their city go to um, a lot of them are having an interesting experience right now they are starting to talk about the cresting of the omicron wave you heard the white house covid task force say that today they're starting to reflect on the falling numbers they're starting to reflect on the endemic phase of the pandemic they're starting to talk about how they themselves are dining in restaurants and going to concerts or to church and, and that you can do this. Um, and that it's going to come down. Numbers are going to come down over this month and next month. And the risk to fully vaccinated individuals is going to be low. And if you're waiting for the, the queue to return to normal life, it's here. It's coming and it's here and you need to do it and we're doing it. And then they get this blowback. Their fan base is turning on them. All of a sudden, you know, it's like when a rock star puts out a country album and all of a sudden everybody's mad at him. These guys all of a sudden are are being uh, attacked and dropped and broken up with by their followers because their followers are saying, we trusted you. And now you're telling us to go back out there and we can't do that. How dare you? And the doctors are saying, but we're experts. You, you trusted us because we're experts. This is our expert opinion. But see, here's the thing. There are people that are not ready and are never going to be ready to resume their 2019 lives. And we have to accept this. We don't have to let them run things, and we don't have to put them in charge. And we don't have to follow them. We have to love them. And we have to let them go. 
That sounds like a country music song. We have to love them and we have to let them go. Get Ann Murray. It, it's, it's time to recognize that there are people who are so damaged, so terrorized, that even when the doctor, the expert, the, the pundit they trust the most says, hey, I'm going to concerts, I'm going to eat inside restaurants again, they will not do it. And they'll never be ready to do it. And this is going to be a sorting out in our country now. And it's going to happen amongst people, and it's going to happen amongst cities and states. And we're going to have to decide where we want to live and how we want to live. And there are going to be places that will stay locked down longer, and those are places you should move to if you want to stay locked down longer. And there are going to be places that are already open and are staying open. And that's where you should be if that's how you feel. But I think it's interesting that they can't believe their fans have turned on them. Because for two years, people hung on their every word, did everything they told them to do. If they said wear three masks, they wore three masks. If they said wear four, they put on the fourth. But now that they're telling them get back out there, they don't want to hear it. Gavin Newsom's the governor of California. Before that, he was the lieutenant governor of California. Before that, he was the mayor of San Francisco. For about 20 years, Gavin Newsom has been running California. So why is it that Gavin Newsom this week went out to the uh, those train tracks? I know you've seen the pictures. They've gone viral. Those train tracks in Los Angeles where for miles, as far as the eye can see, the train tracks are strewn with the debris of rail cars that have been robbed and broken into. These are rail cars that were carrying mail and shipments and parcels and, and deliveries. And the ground is covered. You can't even see the ground with cardboard boxes and paper and wrapping and refuse. There's Amazon packages. There's UPS packages. There's COVID tests. There's sports equipment. There's medical equipment. These cargo containers on trains have been busted into and robbed. Why is it that Gavin Newsom went to that scene and said he couldn't believe it? He said, I'm asking myself, what the hell is going on? We look like a third world country. How can Gavin Newsom say that when Gavin Newsom made it that way? He's been in charge. And people like him have made it that way. Don't you love it when politicians suddenly become bystanders? Don't you love it when they go from the masters of the universe to, wow, we can't believe it. How did this happen? Who, who can we complain to? You're a boob. You took the golden state and ruined it. I know my family's experience is probably like that of a lot of Americans. 60, 70 years ago, people in my family wanted to go to California almost as badly as they wanted to go to heaven. Politicians changed that. Nothing else changed. And Gavin Newsom's one of them. He didn't just show up. How did this happen? I want to play this for you. Uh, Jen Psaki has been part of the White House cleanup team. This is the biggest janitorial staff you've ever seen. They have spent the last 48 hours cleaning up from that Biden disaster of a press conference on Wednesday. They've put all hands on deck. I swear to God, I think everybody except Biden's dogs have been trying to explain what the president really actually meant. So Jen uh, Psaki went on with Jake Tapper on CNN. And every so often, Jake Tapper decides to be a journalist. And it's fun to watch because he's pretty good at it. 
And here he is challenging her on the president's election remarks on Wednesday. Cut number five. My bigger question is, if we're saying that there's no election uh, that's legitimate if there are efforts to suppress the vote, then when has there ever been a legitimate election in this country? Trying to suppress American votes has been going on since the founding of this country. That That's not what we're saying, Jake. People should be confident in the protections that we are going to continue to enforce. But also we know it's not long ago history. It is recent history sure. when the former president tried to overturn the outcome. That is different than the effort to suppress the vote. We need to fight against both. We need to ensure we're using every tool at our disposal. Uh, obviously, a lot of those would be through the Democratic National Committee, uh, and a lot of those are going to be through local efforts. And that's what the president was, uh, was attempting to speak to. But he didn't say the elections are going to be legitimate, and I'm going to be there making sure that they are legitimate, and we're going to fight, and you need to turn out to vote. I mean, he basically... He basically refused to say that definitively that they're going to be legitimate. Vice President Harris today also with Savannah Guthrie also refused to say that the results will be legitimate. She, she pivoted to saying, quote, we as America cannot afford to allow this blatant erosion of our democracy and in particular the right of all Americans who are eligible to vote to have, un, uh, to have access to the, the ballot unfettered. So I hear what you're saying, but you do not seem to be on the same page as the president and vice president. I've spoken with the president about this extensively. I speak on his behalf. He is not questioning the legitimacy of the 2022 elections. But it is also his responsibility, and the vice president's too, to be very candid and clear-eyed and communicate with the American people about what is at risk and what they need to ensure they know what their rights are and what the former president attempted to do in 2020. And we can't forget and stop talking about that. How would you like to have her job? I mean, every day you've got to go out and say Biden didn't mean the thing he said. Basically, that's every day. Every day. You know, the job used to be I've asked the president about X and here's what he told me. Or uh, in a meeting the president told us this, this, and this. These people have to go out there and, and do total denial of reality now they're doing it in mostly friendly confines they're they're get they're allowed to get away with restating things he just said on a fairly regular basis but every once in a while somebody like jake tapper just isn't isn't having any of it she also uh she went on the view to talk about the frustration over the voter rights bills so-called failing before the senate something we all knew they would do but nonetheless, expressing the frustration and the disappointment of that, listen to Jen Psaki's advice on what to do if you don't like the way the Senate voted this week. Cut number six. So my advice to everyone out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, pissed off, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita, do whatever you need to do this weekend, and then wake up on Monday morning, we got to keep fighting. And what that means, Lindsay, is we have to keep talking to members about federal legislation. That's essential. That's something that can be permanent, that can make sure people's rights are protected. But we also need to uh, make sure people are educated in states across the country about what their rights are, uh, how they can vote, when they can vote, how to request an absentee ballot. There's a lot we need to do on that front, and that's going to rely on the energy and the anger of those that activism as well wow how did she know i mean it's it's weird because it just so happens that my plans this weekend are to kickbox and drink margaritas how did she know it's 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 uncanny you know seriously though i'm confused as to the advice that the democrats are giving their base on the one hand 
the 2022 election is already rigged, but on the other hand, you should vote anyway. They've rigged it, they've stolen it, but you're going to turn out and unrig it. Well, if the turnout can unrig the rigged election, then why did we need his phony baloney bills? If they have so much confidence in people to vote in vast numbers and to vote un, un, completely un, you know, unaffected by or not in any way discouraged by the evil Republicans, then what was the point of all of this legislation? Right? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hang together. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Yeah, I, I love uh, this uh, governor of California. By the way, Gavin Newsom is just Beto with a more expensive haircut, right? You've, you've noticed, right? He's standing around. He's 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 knee deep in the wreckage from these trains. All this stuff that's been stolen. Remember, everything you're looking at on the ground is something somebody was expecting. Somebody's Christmas present. Somebody's medical shipment. Somebody was waiting for an order of depends. Somebody had sent something back in that had maybe had a deadline. It had to be at a certain place by a certain time. It never got there. Uh, you know, some kid didn't get his grandma's you know birthday check. Because these these criminal gangs ripped open these train cars. And by the way, when Gavin Newsom was standing around scratching his head like he didn't know how this could have happened, he even apologized for using the word gangs. He was afraid he had used a pejorative term for the people that robbed the trains. I am sick and tired of politicians standing down here on the ground with us, pretending they don't like it either. They don't know how this happened either. Bull. This is on you. And you didn't just come into office. You've only been governor for a few years, but you've been running that state for 20 years, and you're part of the Pelosi machine that's been running it even longer than that. Pelosi got him all the jobs he he won, in case you don't know. I mean, the guy is, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick him to run your garage sale. And he's running California into the ground. And I bring this up because California was once what Texas is now. It was the place everybody was moving to. It was the place, if people couldn't move there, they wished they could. They wanted to. California Dreamin' was the song. Not Minnesota Dreamin', right? Not Arkansas dreaming. So I, I I don't know I I hope people are wising up about this because we, we'll be next. All all this stuff to me is like sneak previews for Texas. And don't say it could never happen because they were as rock ribbed conservative as we are. Not that long ago. So these doctors are saying, we don't know what happened. We had all these people that wrote us fan letters and love letters and wanted to have our babies, and they, they told us, whatever you know, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We'll wear whatever mask you tell us to wear. And now these doctors are saying, I, I read one of them that did an interview uh, a few days ago. His name is Wachter. And he did an interview where he said he can't believe the blowback he's getting from his own fans on Twitter and so forth. He says, we tr- they, they tell me, we trusted you. Now you're telling us the risk is going down, and we don't trust you anymore. And he's saying, if you trusted my judgment before, why wouldn't you trust it now? Well, I can tell him why. 
Because now he's telling them something they can't bear to hear. And you know people like this. I mean, and, and, and you have them in your life, and I'm not picking on them, and I'm not running them down. I feel terribly sorry for them. We need to love them. We need to be patient with them. But for God's sakes, we mustn't let them run things or put them in charge of our lives or our businesses anymore. Because if you wait for these kinds of people to be ready to be over COVID, it will never happen. Some of them are never going to a concert again. Some of them are never going to eat a restaurant meal inside the restaurant building ever again. Some of them are never going to be ready for that. No one will be able to tell them, go do that, because the people that would have been able to tell them to go do it are the people now saying, my fans are turning on me. So the NCAA announced this week that they're going to have a new policy on transgender athletes in college sports, but the new policy is that they're not going to have a policy. The, the new, they don't know what to do. So they're going to take a sport by sport approach and they're going to kick the can down to these other organizations. And then if the sport in question doesn't have a governing body, then they'll go and see what the international governing body for that sport recommends when it comes to athletes who are biologically male but want to compete as females. So they put this big fancy announcement out like they had done something, and they did nothing. And if you're the parents of a young lady who has practiced and gotten up early and given up weekends, and you've driven her to the ends of the earth to do tryouts or be in tournaments, and you've been driving on back roads in the middle of the night, you didn't know where the hell you were, but you were trying to get to some place where there was a competition or a, or a uh, festival... This is the thanks you get. This is the thanks she gets. And I keep waiting for the, if, if the parents ever rose up, it would be one of the all-time great revolts in history. It would be deafening. It would be overwhelming. This whole thing would be over. If the righteous indignation of parents who should love their children more than they love being a Democrat, more than they love being a liberal, more than they love being politically correct, if they just rose up and said, no, not right, not fair, it would all be over. Joe Rogan, the podcaster, made an interesting point about this on one of his recent episodes. He said, well, it, it's, it's one thing if you are like a, you know, MMA fighter, all right, and you take on an opponent who is biologically male but identifies as female, you know what you're getting into, and you have a choice. But when you play a team sport, you don't get to say, well, I'll swim against this one and this one and this one, but not against that one. You can't do it. And that's where this doesn't work. And he said, as, as we always have to do when we have these discussions, Nothing against trans people, but this isn't fair. This isn't right. Trans people, or the people who are purporting to speak for them, have become the biggest bullies in modern society. They are telling the people that don't toe the line to shut up and sit down. They are not interested in a dialogue or a discussion because they'd be 
defeated in a debate, a dialogue, or a discussion. They are counting on you not wanting to look like a meanie, not wanting to somehow be politically incorrect. So this guy, Joe Rogan, we talk about him from time to time, and uh, this week there was a letter sent out uh, with 150 so-called experts calling Joe Rogan, the podcaster, extraordinarily dangerous to society. Where can you, where can you buy better publicity than that? If you're a podcaster, that's exactly <laughs> what you need. That's exactly what drives subscriptions. He's so dangerous. We're experts. You should listen to us. What makes him dangerous is he expresses opinions and he entertains a lot of different opinions. He has people on his podcast with a wide range of views. They're not all his. But it's it's dangerous to have different opinions. It's dangerous if we discuss the side effects of the vaccine. It's dangerous if we discuss the placebo effect of the vaccine. It's dangerous if we say, well, maybe it's not really a vaccine at all. Maybe it's a prophylactic effect on COVID. I'm old enough to remember when we used to take the attitude that we need to talk about these things. Remember that expression, we need to talk? That expressed the idea that it was healthy to hear what other people were saying and feeling. Now, you could disagree with it or dismiss it, but you'd hear it. It was okay. It was even welcome. We need to talk. We've substituted, we need to talk, for now, you need to shut up. You're dangerous. And a doctor who doesn't particularly agree with Joe Rogan and some of the vaccine skeptics that Joe Rogan has had on um, wrote this long piece uh, that ran on unheard.com entitled, We Need to Talk About the Vaccines. His name is Dr. Vinay Prasad. He's a professor of epidemiology at UCSF. So he's working in the field. He is an expert. Multiple disciplines, widely published, serious guy. And he says, I think it's a mistake to try to silence people like Joe Rogan. Because if you try to shut them down, you are increasing their um, appeal and you are multiplying or amplifying what they're saying. And it might be right and it might be wrong. And he broke it down and said, I listened. I went through six hours. He listened to the, the episode where Rogan had Dr. Robert Malone on. And he says, and he made a very fair analysis. Um, he said that there are side effects to the vaccine. That there is myocarditis in young boys and men. These are not fringe concerns. These are things to be taken seriously. If it was your son, you would take it seriously. 
He said all vaccines have dangerous side effects. We, we've never before pretended that wasn't true or silenced the people that reported on them or researched them. It's not the right response. He wrote, our policy around natural immunity is unscientific. This leads to errors with vaccine mandates, boosters, etc. He's afraid that people will get the wrong information. He's afraid that we are dumbing down the science of boosters. You know, each new booster that's announced is going to be the last one you'll need. Obviously, at this point, when I say that, you laugh, right? So, he's not a conspiracy theorist. He's not a kook. He is qualified. He's not saying he agrees with everything that Rogan's guests or Rogan says. But the censorship is out of control. And dangerous to medicine and health. I agree. I agree. But what's so interesting about all of this is that it's not just what he says or his guests say about vaccines and COVID. It's also that this is a new way of reaching people. So Joe Rogan doesn't have to be a guest on somebody's cable show. He doesn't have to be hired by a news network. He doesn't have to get a column in a popular newspaper or magazine or website. He's going directly to people. That's how, that's how the world works nowadays. Musicians are pushing out their music directly to their listeners. They don't need a record company anymore. Authors are pushing out their works directly to readers who are interested. They don't need a publisher anymore. I'm on a radio station that's owned by a broadcast and digital media company. I'm their employee. But you don't need to do what I'm doing to reach the people I'm reaching. I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to say what I just said, but it's the truth and you need to know it. And he's scaring a lot of people. Because it means Joe Rogan's success means that a lot of people now own things that aren't as valuable as they thought they were. If Joe Rogan doesn't need traditional media, what's the price, the value of traditional media? Oh, that's, oh my God, what, what are you saying? That's the problem. So I'm here to tell you, it isn't, it isn't what he or his guests say about COVID. Yes, they're, they're alarmed about it. They don't like being second-guessed. They don't want you doing your own research or thinking for yourself. But you know what the real threat of all this is? The real threat is that the people that think they own the, the conduits, the channels, the means of reaching you are finding out they don't own everything. They paid dearly for these things, believing that you would have to go through them to reach people. This guy's showing that you don't. And that's scary to them. So this is great news. We finally made some progress. Uh, M&M's parent company, Mars Incorporated, announcing that M&M characters, you know, the the big giant M&M's with legs, are going to become more inclusive. The famed candy characters are getting makeovers to make them more nuanced personalities. You know, they're perfectly round. 
I'm not sure how nuanced that can be. I don't mean to rain on your parade. I read a two, three places just to make sure this wasn't a hoax story. Uh, top executives at Mars announcing that the colorful candy-coated chocolates are making a global commitment to creating a world where everyone feels they belong and society is inclusive. As part of the mission, each of the M&M characters, mascots of sorts, will be receiving new personas. I'm serious. Or they are. I'm not, actually. I'm not serious about this at all. Like the green M&M, who has previously been kind of seductive and flirty, will now wear sneakers and be more of an every woman. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We, who needs a voting rights bill? You know? The one thing I never, I never hear these companies say, when they're all, all the virtue signaling all these companies do, I don't care if it's an airline, a soft drink, candy, all this virtue signaling, you know the one thing they never do? Why not just give the product away? That would be inclusive. Everyone gets it. You don't have to pay. Because isn't putting a price on something exclusive, excluding? I don't have that money on me. Well, you can't have M&M's. If you really want to be inclusive, give them away. Give Coca-Cola away. Give it to everyone. Make it free. Delta, you want to be inclusive? People fly for free. Because price is the great divider. Right? The comedian, Ricky Gervais, was interviewed on The View. Now, you know, he's made headlines recently for hosting the Golden Globes and doing it in a very funny, irreverent way. He's very politically incorrect. They asked him if he would do the Academy Awards, and he said, I would, under one condition. He says, I wouldn't even charge them. The condition is they have to let me say whatever I want to say. They let let me write the the lines and, and no limits. He says, I would host it if I could say what I wanted to say. I think a lot of people would watch if he could do that. I don't really even care about these movies, but I'd love, I I love comedy. I'm appreciating, I realized the other day, I now appreciate comedy at this point in my life more than I ever have before. You know why? Because comedy is an endangered species. I mean real comedy. I mean not we only make fun of the people we disagree with. I mean the kind of irreverent comedy that, that when it jokes about one of your sacred cows, when it's a joke about the politician you support, it's so freaking funny you still have to laugh. That's what I think is endangered. It's easy to stand up in front of a room of liberals and make Trump jokes. I'm not even sure that's comedy. You're kind of servicing them. You might as well be pole dancing. I'm talking about the kind of comedy where you laugh even when you know you shouldn't. Right. I remember when I was a kid, I was horrified to discover my parents were watching Seinfeld. I didn't know if they realized some of the themes. I mean, Seinfeld had an episode about masturbation. The the characters in the show had a contest. 
And I didn't know if my parents realized that that would be on the show. Well, they not only realized it, but they were laughing their heads off. And these were two of the most conservative, buttoned-down people you've ever met. They couldn't help it. It was that funny. Johnny Carson would make jokes about whoever the president was. And people would laugh, even though they had voted for him. So we need comedy. That kind of comedy. And if, if he could get the gig, I would watch the Oscars. You know, there's something about the censoring or the limiting of comedy that, that tells you how frail and fragile this whole thing is. This whole empire of, of thought control and wokeness and so forth, it, it's very frail. Because if it was robust and confident, they'd brush off the comedy. And they can't. They don't. They are so scared of you and me. They're so uncertain of themselves. They realize they're just barely hanging on. That comedy is a threat. You know, I was thinking about that in terms of, uh, we talked about the Olympics being in China yesterday. And um, today there was a story that said Olympic athletes are being told, under no circumstances are you to make any comments about the internal situation in China. While you're there, you are to not say anything about the way people are living, about circumstances, about politics, about any of that. And people are outraged. How, how, you know, wh- why are we doing this? Why are we going? Why are we having the Olympics there? But you know what I take away from that story? The Chinese communists are not 20 feet tall. They're not indomitable. They're not they're not that big because evidently evidently they are threatened by the possibility that a figure skater might say something critical or a downhill skier might say something critical or a hockey player well if that's a threat to you how much how much power how much control do you really have probably a lot less than you want people to think I think that's a good sign. We had the vote in the Senate this week about the uh, election reforms. And as you know, it went the way it was going to go. It went with uh, 52 against, 48 for. Included in the 52 against were Democrats Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. After the vote, Robert Reich, who was once the Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton and uh, was also a candidate for governor of Massachusetts at one point, longtime Democrat. Robert Reich was interviewed, and he uh, noted that after the vote, there were Republican senators shaking Kirsten Sinema's hand. And he said this, Democratic senators should have given her the back of their hands. So Kirsten Sinema should be slapped for the way she voted. Are you a woman that votes Democratic because the Democratic Party is pro-women? Did you hear that? Are you, are you following any of this? This is the woman they followed into a bathroom to try to get her to change her vote or shame her for her position? And Robert Reich says Kristen Sinema needs to be slapped. You know, they've pretty much said everything except you belong in the kitchen. If you're still voting for them, that's not a good look for you. I'm not saying that you should be a Republican. 
I'm not, I'm not actually saying you should do anything. But I can't understand how a woman can claim the Democratic Party is the pro-woman party. Because the minute a woman thinks for herself or deviates from their line, she loses all her value. You know, ordinarily it's women should always be believed and we need to um, have a culture of equality and equity. But the minute you do one thing, and she's only done one thing, she's only stepped out of line on one thing, she should be slapped. Okay. By the way, if you've ever seen Robert Reich, he's about four and a half feet tall. So I'm pretty sure Kirsten Cinema could kick his ass if it came to that. I'd, I'd like to see him try to slap her. I don't think that would go well for him. We talked about how they study... <laughs> so weird they study sewage to figure out where this virus has been and where it's going it's very good at at revealing the true state of covid-19 because everyone uses the toilet wastewater doesn't lie and now they're finding out in studying the sewage system in new haven connecticut home of yale university that Omicron was in this country much earlier than believed and is disappearing much faster than we realize. The first infection of Omicron wasn't officially confirmed in this country until December 1st in California, but in analyzing wastewater in New Haven, they're finding that it was there much sooner. And this mirrors previous discoveries that COVID itself was in this country much sooner than February or January of 2020. The Delta was here sooner than we had a name for it. Omicron now was here sooner than we had a name for it. And they can tell that it's peaking sooner than the case numbers indicate. Because this is the one sample that you can't foul up, right? It's it's the water system or the sewage system that everybody uses, all races, all classes. Everybody's in. So the Epic Times had this story about these emails uh, from early 2020. Now here's the here's the background. Um, COVID is is coming out of China. It's 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 starting to spread across the world. It's coming into the United States. We think in January of 2020, the first official case was late January of 2020. And this is about a. Um, article that came out in February of 2020 called Proximal Origin, and it's about the origin of COVID-19. And it's an article that was written by virologists. Dr. Anthony Fauci is not one of them. His name is not on the byline, but it looks like he had a lot to do with this article, which was one of the most influential at excluding the possibility of a lab leak. And the authors of the paper have never acknowledged his involvement, and he lied about his involvement while testifying before Congress recently. So on February 1st of 2020, there was a multiple-person teleconference that Fauci organized. It included the four people who wrote the article. And the article, Proximal Origin, was completed on the same day as the teleconference. And three of the authors of the paper 
told Fauci during the teleconference and in subsequent emails that they were 60 to 80% sure COVID-19 escaped from a lab in Wuhan. Three of the virologists who wrote the paper have since seen substantial increases in federal funding from Fauci, from the NIAD, his agency. On February 4th, One of the article's co-authors, a man named Edward Holmes, shared a draft of the article with another scientist who controls the disbursement of federal funding for virology research. And they talked in their emails about not wanting to reveal things about lab leak origins. And I won't go into all the technical details. But they talked about things like serial passage, which is when a virus is manipulated in a lab by repeatedly passing it through human-like tissue, like genetically modified mice. If you're talking about serial passage in terms of a virus, you're talking about a virus that has been in a lab. Serial passage is a sophisticated technique. It would not have been going on at a wet market. Then on February 16th, 2020, the article Proximal Origin was published online. The article aggressively argued that COVID-19 came from nature. Not what its authors told Fauci less than two weeks earlier. And then the article was republished on March 17th in the scientific journal Nature. Now this gave it a much wider audience. And the Nature version of the article omitted things that were in the February version. And then there was a passage in the March article that wasn't in the February article that said, quote, we do not believe any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. It now looks like that was put in there at the behest of Fauci and that Fauci paid for it by giving these guys more federal funding. And again, there's a, in the entire Epic Times article, there's a number of these examples of alterations and variations in the wording. Scientific journals have scrupulous rules that anyone who contributes to a scientific paper has to be acknowledged. The emails are pretty clear that Fauci and some of these other government scientists participated in the assembling of this article. But their names have never appeared on any published version of the article. Why? Well, that was so Fauci could cite it. He could point to it. He could say, look, this is what the best minds are saying. Don't have to take my word for it. Look at this article written by experts. And then in an email from April of 2020, Dr. Francis Collins from NIH is asking Fauci whether the government could do something, quote, to help put down this destructive conspiracy theory. Because Brett Baer on Fox News had done a story about how there was increasing confidence that the COVID virus had come out of a lab. Help put down this very destructive conspiracy. Collins and Fauci are writing to one another. Fauci told Collins the lab leak theory was a shiny object 
that would go away in time, his words. But then, the next day, April 17th, 2020, he's on the White House press platform. Remember those daily COVID briefings? Sometimes Trump was there. And Fauci is knocking down the lab origin theory, and he cites the Proximal Origin article, an article he has orchestrated and influenced and edited and contributed to secretly. But now he's citing it as if to say, again, look, don't take my word for it. This is what the experts are saying. And that April 17th White House briefing seemed effective because, according to the Epic Times, after that, there was a dramatic decrease in media stories about the lab leak story. And we didn't hear any more about lab leak until May of last year when former New York Times science writer Nicholas Wade, you remember we talked about this, wrote a lengthy article about the likelihood of a lab leak and noted that in the world of virology, if you wanted your career to flourish, if you wanted federal funds to keep flowing, you needed to treat the lab leak theory the way people like Tony Fauci wanted it treated, which was to treat it like a shiny object and a conspiracy theory and a tinfoil hat notion. Now, all of this is to say All right. Think of the pyramid, okay? Think of a pyramid. Fauci's at the top of the pyramid. Underneath him, flowing from him, are these other quote-unquote experts on all these different media outlets and the ones that are advising Presidents Trump and Biden and governors and mayors and local officials and writing the mandates and the rules. And even if they don't say his name, the, 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 the clear implication is we're the voices of science. Remember, Tony Fauci said he was science and science was him. And I'm not taking away from the fact that he has degrees and he has a scientific background. It's just important to note that during the time in your life when maybe science has been at the zenith of its power and influence, never has science dictated so much of what you and I do, science was behaving like a ward politician, like a, like a hack. Money, ego, favors, threats, secret meetings. See, that's, that's all in there, too. Science is not sacred or sacrosanct. It's whatever people make it. These are the people. This is what they made it. It's interesting. Probably doesn't surprise you. But these emails are just starting to emerge, and I think there'll be more of them. Because I think his star is setting. And, you know... There may be people that have wanted to say these things or release these things or reveal these things, but were afraid to. As time goes on, they're going to be less afraid to. It's going to be bad news for Tony Fauci and people like him. It's a funny meme today. It says, you never realize how antisocial you are until there's a pandemic and your life doesn't really change that much. That's, <laughs> I've told so many people that. I, I Being introverted and, and a guy that just likes to stay home and read books, I... I felt guilty at how easy that was for me compared to my much more outgoing family and friends. I know it was rough. 
for some people. Um, we were talking earlier about the phenomenon of silent parents. As this whole issue of transgender sports plays out, and it disenfranchises and really robs girls and young women at every level of athletics, the silence of their parents is stunning to me. I, I, you know, you hear stories about the superhuman strength of a mom lifting an overturned car off her child. Where is that rage? Where is that strength? Where is that, you know, mama bear, papa bear thing with this travesty that is going on? And they took the issue on recently on the Dr. Phil show. And Matt Walsh was one of the guests. We've, we've talked about Matt Walsh. We've played some of his stuff. We've quoted him on the show. He's a, he's a writer and a columnist. And I think he also does a podcast. And he went on Dr. Phil with some trans guests to, um, debate the question that Matt Walsh often asks in his writing and in his appearances. He asks rhetorically the question, what is a woman? And on this episode of Dr. Phil, he asked these trans activists the same thing. And this is how it went down. Listen to this. And that's a question I would like to throw out to you know, other members of the panel, actually, because just like the four-year-old can't answer what is a girl, well, this is one of the problems with this left-wing gender ideology is that no one who espouses it can even tell you what these words mean. It's like, what is a woman? Well, can you tell me what a woman is? No, I can't. Because but, it's not for me to say. I, Womanhood looks different for everybody. What do, you, what do you define a woman as? An adult human female. And what does a female mean? Uh, well, how, that's do you, how do you define a female? Someone with, with female reproductive organs. Okay. Someone who's, you know, here's the thing. When you're, when you're a female, it goes right down to your bones, your DNA. So that's why if someone dies, okay. we could dig up their bones 100 years from now. We have no idea what they believed in their head, but we can tell what sex they were okay. because it's, in, it's, down in, it's, it's ingrained in every fiber of their being. Interesting. So I'm trying to understand. Your definition is that a woman is someone who is female, you said, right? Correct. Is okay. a biological female. So what happens if we have maybe someone who is female, identifies as a woman, right? You know, cisgender woman, right? As you explained, as you just explained, but maybe doesn't have the ability to reproduce. Maybe doesn't have those organs that you're talking about well, that are reproductive well, organs. I have answered the question. You stood up here and said trans women are women. Yes. Tell me what you mean. What is a woman? Womanhood is something that, just as Ethan explained, I cannot define because I am not but myself. But you used the word. So what did you mean when you said trans women are women if you don't know what it means? Right. So here's the thing. So I do not define what a woman is because I do not identify as a woman. Womanhood is something that is an umbrella term. It includes people that who... That describes what? People who identify as a woman. I identify as What? As a woman. What is that? Was to each their own. Right. Each woman, each man, each person is going to have a different relation with their own gender identity and define it differently. And so I'm trans women are women too. Okay. And you want to reduce reduce women, you want to reduce men down to maybe just their genetics, our genitals, our chromosomes, right? That's what you're saying. What you want to do is appropriate women. You want to appropriate womanhood okay. and turn it into basically a costume that can be worn. I, you know, I don't always agree with Matt Walsh, and he can be a little snarky sometimes, but I, I think he's right about this. What do you think? 
it, it really seems like costume thinking. I can put this on, and now this is who I am. And that's the thing about a costume. It's just for appearance, and you don't have to justify it. You can dress up as a policeman, but you don't actually have to do any work as a policeman. You don't have to solve any crimes or direct traffic. You can put on a costume as a doctor, but no one will ask you to perform surgery or save a life. It's, it, it, and, and this is what I don't understand. I hear men arguing about it. I hear trans people arguing about it. Wouldn't you think women would be putting their foot down, standing up, raising their voice, and saying, no, you can't have, you can't put on a costume and be us? That's not hating you. That's just reality. So we played that um, piece of the episode with Dr. Phil, where he had uh, a couple of trans activists um, and Matt Walsh. And Matt Walsh was there asking the question that he has rhetorically asked in his writing and his public speaking, um, what is a woman? Because if you say that identifying as a woman makes you a woman or feeling like a woman makes you a woman, then what does it mean to be a woman? We don't do this with anything else. I can't, I can't go out there and say, well, I, I identify as a neurosurgeon and they'll let me perform surgery on people's brains. That, that, that doesn't work that way. When I was a kid, the feminist movement was really in its heyday. I mean, people like Betty Friedan and uh, Gloria Steinem, do you remember those names? We're all over talk shows and popular media and the popular culture. They're very outspoken. Their message was about women and the importance and the primacy and the the it was there was the it was time for women to be appreciated and recognized. And I just I wonder how all of these full throated feminists and, and if you're a woman today, chances are you are you came from that era. You were born in that era, or you grew up under those influences. Where where are their voices in this? Linda is on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa. Linda, good afternoon. Hello there. Uh, it, I don't know quite what my emotions are. It's just really sad right now. You think about all these little girls and women who've worked so hard to do well in sports. And then you see this guy who actually competed as a guy for several years competitively in swimming. And now he's transitioned to a woman, and he's been able to compete in women's sports. If you see a picture of this guy, there is no way that he, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a level mm-hmm. playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, men... Men have been able to do sports and all kinds of things, and it's only been in the last, you know, I'm 73. It's only been in my lifetime, you know. Right. When I entered the workforce, I always asked all kinds of ridiculous questions. All that's over. But this right. is just kind of craziness. Now, I don't have any problem if you want to, you know, go through, you think you're a woman, you want to go through all this, the counseling and everything. Fine. But 
competing competitively in sports is ridiculous. If you've gone through puberty as a guy, as a boy, there's no way that you're anything like a woman competitively in sports. This guy's hands and arms are huge. Mm-hmm. You know, and going, you know, and taking, you know, estrogen for a year, you know, that doesn't do anything. You're not going to lose your, your bone structure or your hands or, or your feet, for that matter, with swimming. So anyway, I, you know, I, it's just absurd well, to me that, you know. Linda, like you said, you, you're old enough to remember when there wasn't any money for women's sports, when they didn't have no, programs for women. And it was a big deal when that was achieved, right? That was fought for and argued for and achieved. Yeah. And, and it was achieved because women and feminists raised their voice and, and put their foot down. Why aren't women doing that now? Where, where is that well, now? I, Okay, I have a liberal friend in Virginia, and we had this discussion, and she's assuring me that by taking the female hormones for a year, or whatever the requirement is, that the, that their, you know, strength or whatever is, you know, equal with a woman. You know, they don't, they don't have an advantage. And I'm like, and she's my age, and she, she went through all of this, and she had a successful career, but, you know, she had to fight her way up. You know, she did break the glass ceiling, but she had to fight her way up. So it's just, it's like she's... I mean, I, I think if, if women that if, if women that can remember what you remember aren't fighting this, don't expect little girls to fight it, because they will have never known anything else but what's happening now. Well, you ever I, thought about that? Guess, uh, you ever thought that our kids will I, not resist this because it's all they know? Well, and I agree, and I, you know, this comes up, and I, you know, I couch it in the terms of it's really not fair to girls yeah. and women athletes who have worked so hard to do well right. against yeah. other. Women. No, what you're what you're saying makes and, sense, and I and I agree with you. I just I'm just marveling that there are not a gazillion Lindas uh, who are if well, if as many if as many women who have had your experience just stood up and spoke. This would all be over in about five minutes. Linda, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. That's, that's the part of this that, that, that just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm stumped. Um, and I think about my daughter and her generation. This is going to seem very normal to them because they have been told, lectured, brainwashed that it is. They do not remember that the, what was it, Title IX or whatever? Was that where they had the fight over funding for women's sports? I think it was Title IX, one of those titles. They don't remember that fight. They don't remember the, the origins of modern feminism. Uh, so unless people that remember what it took to get to this point say something, uh, it goes, it just goes away. Uh, Leah is on 550 KTSA. Hi, Leah. Hello, Jack. Hello. I would just, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hi. Well, I would just like to, um, say that to all of these um, transgender men that uh, I want them to think about the fact that, that women, we, uh, every single month of our lives for about a week, we have an intense wound that opens up and we bleed profusely and copiously to keep this human species going. And I'd like to see uh, a couple of these transgender men go through that a couple of months and then see what they think about womanhood. Mm. 
Um, I will not volunteer. I don't think any of them would. <laughs> and I think that is uh, uh, like a real uh, dividing line right there because you would think, right? it is a very important thing that that we all do, and they will never do it, and they yeah. will never know. They'll never understand. Right. So, Leah anyway, says... You'll never know the pain, says Leah. Leah, thank you. Kanye West was out the other night in West Hollywood at a restaurant called Craig's. It was with a bunch of people. He had Antonio Brown, the former football player. <laughs> former, at the moment, football player. Uh, and a bunch of other people from the music world and the fashion world. You know, I'm sure everywhere Kanye West goes, there's at least you know, a couple of dozen people. Anyway, they're out at this big dinner, and Kanye West, in the middle of the dinner, had a barber come in, a barber and shave and trim his beard at the dinner table. I've never done that before. I used to think it was so cool. I'm going to age myself now. Remember in the old movies when the the people in the movie would be at a, at a swanky restaurant and the, the waiter or the maitre d' would come over and say, uh, sir, you have a phone call, and they'd bring a phone to the table. You ever seen that? They would bring a phone to the table in the restaurant because you were an important person and there was an important call for you. And I always wanted someday to be in that situation where they would bring a phone to the table. Now we all bring our phones to the table. Not a big deal anymore. Everybody is wondering what's going on with Henry Cuellar, and I don't know. The FBI this week raiding his home and his offices. And everybody's being very tight-lipped about what this might be about. There's a lot of speculation about it. There is apparently, ABC says there is a federal investigation ongoing into the former Soviet state of Azerbaijan and whether or not the Azerbaijani government has been bribing Americans, businessmen and or political figures. Now, it happens that Henry Cuellar is the chairman of the Congressional Azerbaijan Caucus. And he has met many times with officials of that government, including their ambassador. So maybe it's connected to the Azerbaijan thing, and maybe it's something else. I'll tell you why I think this is fishy. I mentioned this yesterday. Henry Cuellar is being primaried this year. And the primary is just weeks away. He's being primaried by a uh, squad brand of Democrat named Jessica Cisneros. And she has all the endorsements of the right people, the squad and Elizabeth Warren and what have you. So the House Democratic establishment, people like Pelosi and Hoyer have endorsed uh, Cuellar, but the, the new hotness in the Democratic Party is all behind Jessica Cisneros. And she ran against him before. And um, as you know, Cuellar is kind of a thorn in the side of the Democrats because he makes a lot of noise about immigration and about the failure of the Biden administration on the border. And they think he's too conservative on the border and on illegal immigration. He's also pro-life. And maybe they would just like to get rid of him. And maybe they're trying to help, maybe they're trying to help Jessica Cisneros. But here's the thing I don't think they're thinking about, or maybe they are thinking about. If they help Jessica Cisneros defeat Henry Cuellar in the Democratic primary, 
either because they create an aura of guilt around him or they accuse him of something. That's not a guarantee that Jessica Cisneros will win the general election. That district keeps electing Henry Cuellar because that district, like many border districts, is becoming more centrist and less solidly democratic. Henry Cuellar isn't out of step with the district he represents. That district is very much in step with him. And it would be ironic if the Democrats got rid of him and then replaced him with a Republican member of Congress. And it could happen, because this looks like a potentially red wave year for the Republicans anyway. So she's, Jessica Cisneros is living high at the moment. She's tweeting and, and, and posting about how she's getting tons of support and money's pouring in and there's suddenly a great deal of interest in her candidacy because of what's happening with Henry Cuellar. And again, we don't even know what's happening. It's just it doesn't look good. When the FBI comes in and takes everything out of your office and takes your computers, you know, it doesn't look good, right? Unless you're, unless you're uh, Hunter Biden. But um, I, I think the progressives better be careful with what they wish for because there is something worse than having Henry Cuellar in that seat, then it could happen. Um, by the way, speaking of the border, uh, Bill uh, Malugan from Fox had a report last night. Did you see it? This sounds utterly bananas, but it's apparently true. TSA is allowing illegal immigrants who have to present ID at airport security checkpoints as they are flown into the country. One of the documents that, that illegal immigrants are allowed to use is their arrest warrant. <laughs> I wish I was making that up. I really do. I wish that was from Babylon B or The Onion, but it's apparently true. They can use their arrest warrant as affirmative ID to get through airport security. Um, can we do that? Would you dare do that? That's what's happening. Jack Riccardi, 4 till 7. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Well, here we go on a Friday night. It's the dish. This is a very different hour of our show. The, you know, I think most hours of our show are about the the mind and the heart, and this one's about the stomach. Okay, we're talking restaurants, your most recent restaurant experience, whether that was in a restaurant, whether that was sitting outside, whether that was driving through, whether it was getting it delivered, any kind of food, any kind of price, anywhere in and around San Antonio, I want to hear about it. We all do on The Dish, 210-599-5555. When you call in on The Dish to praise or zing. The rest of us don't care. Of all the things that I care about, it is below my line. When you, when you call in to praise or zing, uh, you can talk about the food, the price, the service. Just please have the complete correct name of the restaurant that you're calling about. We're going to take those calls all this hour, as well as votes in the JR poll question. And the results are coming up right before 7 o'clock on the poll tonight. We asked, did you get any sleet or ice from this weather event? I didn't get any of it. 
And I'm not complaining. I'm happy about that. Uh, 210-599-5555. So let's talk restaurants on the dish. We'll take those calls. Uh, there was a uh, police chase in Louisiana the other night in which a man was driving um, very erratically, uh, going at speeds of up to 60 in 25 zones, went through several stop signs and red lights. Multiple police agencies were involved in the pursuit. When they finally stopped the car with 37-year-old Alan Seabury in it, he got out of the car holding a hamburger. He said he couldn't stop because he was having trouble with his brakes and because he just wanted to eat his burger that he had just purchased, said Monroe, Louisiana, police officer Dylan Johnson. A red Chevy Impala had been observed driving at high speeds and with brights on. And again, wouldn't stop. Chased, flashed, wouldn't stop. Finally the, finally the chase ends. Guy gets out of the car holding a hamburger. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a little curious about where he got that hamburger. I mean, I, it seems like there's a marketing opportunity there, you know? Just saying. It had to be a pretty good burger. Not Wouldn't put it down, even under police chase. I mean, you shouldn't do that. It's not right. Not endorsing that. But it sounds like a pretty tasty burger. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's probably not a gas station burger. Just say it. 210-599-5555. Have you ever had a burger? <laughs> have you ever wanted a burger that badly? How badly have you ever wanted a burger? All right, 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish. There was another crazy police stop uh, type of story. Um, naturally, this one is from Florida. Um, this happened near Tampa. Authorities arrested a woman accused of driving the, or the wrong way on I-75. After police pulled her over, the woman allegedly set her car on fire. Fire was extinguished. The woman was taken into custody. Seems a little extreme for just a traffic stop. You know what I mean? But anyway. Florida woman. All right, 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish, and we start with Roger on KTSA. Happy Friday, Roger. Happy Friday and happy everything. I went to Little Caesars in 906 Kitty Hawk Universal City. I was extremely disappointed. First time there, I went over there and started a pizza that I ordered, and I found a hair. So I spoke to the female manager, and it didn't bother her at all. Well, she said, all I can do is just say, I can give you a refund. That's it. Never said, I'm sorry, this should have never happened or whatever. She didn't care. Oh, she said, I'll give you your money back. In other words, get out of here. So I called well, Universal City uh-huh. Health Department, and they checked them out, and they caught them again. No hair restraint, no mask, nothing at all, no, no gloves. Yeah. yeah. Very disappointing. What, what, so you were not satisfied with the refund? You wanted her to say she was sorry? At least, you know, sorry. It should have never happened. Nothing. She didn't care. Hmm. 
Know, seems like getting a refund is 90% of it. That would have been nice to say, you know, hey, we made a mistake. I'm sorry. What, 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 if, what if she had said sorry but had not given you a refund? Would that have been okay? Yeah. At least, you know. Oh, really? Oh, that would have been okay. So if you'd gotten an apology, you wouldn't have wanted your money back? Yeah, it wasn't that much. It's just a small pizza. Oh, okay. Good. All right. Okay. Well, I, I guess I guess that that's you're you're different then, I guess, because I would have thought most people would say, "Hey, the most important thing is I'm not paying for this. I'm not going to eat it." But you're saying it would have been okay to have a pizza with a hair on it as long as they said they were sorry. Yeah, and you know, just take it back and, you know, they, and say, you know, we'll we we'll, we'll make sure. But the health department said But you would want another pizza. You would want another pizza, right? You wouldn't want to eat the pizza that had the hair on it, right? No, sir. Not at all. Okay. So you would want both the new pizza and the apology? Yeah, and I, you know, there was a homeless person out there. I would have gave it to him. You know, he was hungry. You would have given a pizza him. with a hair on it to a homeless person? No, 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 no pizza, no hair. No, good pizza. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> all right, all right, okay, all right. I, I was just trying to... I was just trying to test Roger a little bit, but, um, you know, apologies are nice, but the important thing to me, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about it. I always feel like um, you usually get the apology from somebody who really had nothing to do with what happened to you, but it's their job to apologize. I, I think the most important thing is the refund or the replacement of the dish, right? I think that's what, what matters the most. I, I, I guess... Other people may feel differently about it, but I think if a restaurant says if a restaurant makes a mistake like that, and they either refund your money or replace the entree, to me that's like ninety percent of the whole thing. Words are cheap, you know. I think two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five on the dish. Julie is on the dish on KTSa. Happy Friday, Julie. Happy National DJ Day. A few days late. And can oh, I that's say okay. for all your fans, we're so glad you ended up here. And ended up is the right way to put it, because there was no plan. Thank you. I'm glad I ended up here, too. Yeah. So I have a praise for Pompeii Italian Grill, and it's 16109 Nacogdoches. Mm-hmm. Um, so January 8th was my Jan's uh, 28th wedding anniversary. Wow, congratulations. And, thanks. And he had a gig that night, so we had to celebrate the afternoon. So I had a gift card to Texas Roadhouse, so I called him at 3.30 on a Saturday, and the wait was going to be an hour. Mm. And I said, well, I'm glad for y'all, but who's, how many, how many of these people are going to eat at 3.30 on a Saturday? So then I called Red Lobster, and the wait was going to be 45 minutes. And I'm like, apparently, this is the time people are going to dinner. I did not know. Wow. So then I called Pompeii Italian Grill, and they said, we have no wait. I said, we're on our way. (laughs) So we went. The food was great, and the service was great. And my plate was so big that I took it home and ate three more meals off of it. Wow. Because the portions are so big. It almost lasted you to the 29th anniversary. Hello? Exactly. It was great. Yeah, no, that was good. What did you have? What did you order there? Um, 
um, I got the uh, Navitas Listens then. Now I can't remember. It was like a fettuccine. There was a lot of it, but I don't know what it was. It was a lot of it. And yeah, I was okay. And then it had artichoke hearts mm. and shrimp, mushrooms. It had artichoke hearts and mushrooms. Wow. Very good. Yeah. Very nice. Very we have. It's been a long time since we had a call about Pompeii. I'm glad to hear that they're uh, still doing really well. Um, they've been there a long time. Yeah, very, very big place. Uh, and I'm glad you had a good anniversary dinner there. And again, happy anniversary, Julie. Thank you for the call and thank you for calling the dish. Praise for Pompeii Italian Grill, sixteen one zero nine Nacogdoches. We haven't had a call since 2016 on Pompeii two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And Paul is on the radio. Paul, good evening. Hey, Jack. Hey, I went up uh, around Canyon Lake to Startsville, and there's a place called Gennaro's up there. And it's oh, yeah. at um, 10018 Starts Road, an Italian restaurant, and uh, has a great reputation. I went up there, and we had um, lasagna and some spaghetti. But sometimes when you get spaghetti the sauce is kind of spicy it's hard on the stomach so we ordered a side order of um alfredo sauce so we ate the spaghetti when we ate the lasagna it was great and i said man let me try this uh alfredo sauce the alfredo sauce was so good i had to order an extra take home of spaghetti so that i could have a full meal of it it was light wow it was um uh, it wasn't too spicy. It wasn't too heavy, and and it, it, it yet it had a full body to it. And it just, oh my God! I said, this is this is wonderful stuff. Wow. Um, so, and I remember you talking the other day on a side note that you talked about, oh, uh, the excuses, and oh, we don't have this, and we don't have that. Oh, the excuse signs. Yeah. Couple, yeah. Yeah. They didn't. This couple across the way ways from us was ordering some let's say let's say some fish stuff or some other stuff and the waiter came up three times and had to tell them no we don't have that yeah three times yeah. but yeah. they still walked away happy they yeah. still walked away you know with a smile on their face uh, i mean they didn't get everything that they wanted but boy the, the food was phenomenal and the atmosphere is really nice it's like a the outside is like kind of like a garden. It's brick and it's got meadow tables and uh, it's just outdoorsy and it's it's a really and it's kind of high up and so you you kind of overlook in the road. Mm. Kind of nice. Yeah, but no, it's a it's a food, beautiful great food. You're right, beautiful place. I've not had the Alfredo sauce there, but you've made me want to try it now. The next time I go and 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 <laughs> yeah, we've we've had many many great calls for Gennaro's over the years. You did it real justice. Thank you, Paul. Uh, so praise for Gennaro's in Canyon Lake. It's uh, 118 10018 FM 3159 or Starts Road in Canyon Lake. You, you just if you put it in your GPS, you'll find it. If you ask anybody, they'll direct you. It's very well known, very well thought of. We've been getting calls going back almost uh, nine years on the dish. Uh, all praise calls for Gennaro's. Um, yeah, we were talking uh, the other day on the show about what, what I would call excuse signs that you see on the front doors of a lot of businesses. And um, restaurants frequently, but not exclusively, 
And and it's one thing when you know we all we all understand when we go out to eat right now that restaurant tours restaurant owners are are not able to get everything, and I don't think I mean I mean you'd have to be a real jerk to hold that against a restaurant because they couldn't get from their supplier certain things. But I'm talking about when a business puts a sign up, and sometimes they're kind of long and and wordy, and basically the gist of the sign is don't get your hopes up, this is not going to be a good experience. You know, we're short-staffed. We're out of a lot of things. Uh, you'll, you're going to have to wait. Uh, you may not be. I went to one place where it says you may not be greeted when you come in. It, it's it, it, to me. I, I just find this so antithetical to the idea of starting and, and running your own business. I know a ton of people in the restaurant business, and they're different in a lot of ways. But one thing they all have in common is they really, really want to excel, and they're, they're competitive, and they're fired up, and they, they believe they have something to offer. And I just don't understand this culture of putting up signs that are lists of excuses and, you know, we're going to tell you right now, don't get your hopes up, abandon all hope. I mean, we gotta, we, we got to fight that. So that's why I call them excuse signs. And I've heard from a lot of people since we did that show uh, who are seeing them and sending me pictures of them and all different places. I'm sure it'll come up again. Uh, by the way, uh, next week, um, I'll be in for Sean Rima as well as here in the afternoon. So at least for the first few days of next week, we'll be on here from 9 to 11, as well as in the afternoon from 4 to 7. We'll have a chance to get into all these things and many, many more. Gotta wrap it up, guys. You gotta ask, gotta gather. I'll see you soon. The president like meatloaf? I don't. uh, What's the the phrase? I would do anything for love. Is that part of the other thing? He might say that. Mm. I'm glad they're asking the important questions. Uh, This half hour, the results on our JR poll will remember. The artist known as Meatloaf and the late comedian Louis Anderson. And we will uh, take more of your calls on the dish. Phone lines open to do that. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. So all that you're doing here is just like you would tell a friend or a coworker, hey, we went to this place, or hey, you got to try this or go there. That's what the dish is. 210-599-5555. Any kind of restaurant anywhere in and around San Antonio. Yeah, this is an amazing uh, dog rescue story. I love this story. It happened in Hampshire, England. A uh, little dog named Millie, a Jack Russell Whippet mix, that's quite a combination, got trapped on a uh, mud flat, so surrounded by water, stuck, and the tide was rising. And things weren't looking good for Millie. Police, firefighters, others had tried to pluck or coax Millie from the mud flat. They finally got the idea. I I love this idea of attaching a sausage to a drone in the hopes that it would tempt Millie to safety. 
Millie got off her leash and was trapped on mud flats. So the drone was deployed uh, with one of uh, the sausage treats Millie was known to love. Local first responder Chris Taylor said it was a crazy idea, but we tried it. After checking with Civil Aviation Authority regulations to determine whether the sausage would violate the maximum takeoff weight of the drone. They got the sausage from a local supermarket, (laughs) and Millie took the bait. Because Millie was hungry that it worked at luring her away from the danger to higher ground. We would certainly consider doing it again in future dog rescues, said Taylor. I think that might also work with some people I know. Just saying. A sausage attached to a drone. See, that's why they that's why they won the Battle of Britain. They're some kind of people. They're never down and out. They always think of something. Sausage attached to a drone. 210-599-5555. Jack on KTSA. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Any kind of food, any kind of price, even if it was d- delivery or drive through We've talked a lot this uh, week and, and really lately about the tone deafness of uh, of politicians on COVID. Um, so they were holding a Zoom meeting the other day in New York with the new governor there, Kathy Hochul, and they were talking about, um, you know, keeping the schools open and um, having kids wear masks in school. And, you know, the, the, the big thing with the mask people is, oh, kids are resilient and they can take it and they can do it. And she decided to tell a a little story of her own. So in response to kids that don't want to wear masks and parents that are concerned about kids having to wear masks all day, she said, well, my daughter had a meltdown about having to wear sneakers to kindergarten. She got used to it. Kids adapt better than adults do. In... I know, right? In what universe is wearing sneakers, which are comfortable and great and fun and come in cool colors, in what universe is that like having to wear a stinky, sweaty, suffocating chin diaper all day? How is that an argument for it? Well, my kid learned to wear sneakers, so very strange. I, I um, I said this earlier on the show. I, I think we're in a, a sorting out time. I think I think you're going to see people and places that are ready to leave it all behind, and people and places that are never going to leave this behind. And we're going to have to just let those people be that way. Some people are never going back to pre-2020 life. They cannot be persuaded, convinced. I I swear to God, if Fauci himself told them to, they wouldn't. That's what we've done to people. 210-599-5555. All right, talking restaurants on the dish ahead of the results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. And Chris is next on 550 and 1071 KTSA. 
Chris, happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday to you. Yeah, I was calling about um, not much, calling about little burger joint and New Braunfels muck and fuss. Careful. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure people called in about it before. But, yeah, it's just a great burger. It's got a lot of beers on tap, a lot of local microbrewery beers on tap. Uh, Great setting. Right next door is a speakeasy bar. But, yeah, it's just uh, always good food. I usually get the there, Diablo burger. Oh, I was going to ask you, what's the best thing to get the first time you go? The Diablo burger? Well, yeah, it's a uh, bacon burger with a little corn fritter, kind of jalapeno corn fritter, and then it's topped with uh, pickled onions and fresh sliced jalapenos. So it may not be for the faint of heart, but it's good. That sounds right down the middle for me. I love I love jalapenos on a burger. So the Diablo Burger, and you said they have micro-brews, so a lot of different beers. And is it a big place or a small place, or what would you say? It's pretty small, but they, you know, depending on the time of the year, you know, they have a big patio out outside. Right. Um, you know, because of the patio, I'd say it's pretty large. It gets packed all the time, you know. It filled up real fast today at lunch. Uh, right. Good place. Very right, good. Yeah, right we got to call. New yeah, we call back in November on it. Uh, Muck and fuss, yeah. craft beer Muck and burgers, fuss. and and I think yeah. and I think whoever came up with the name <laughs> is yeah, employee and, of the month. You got to love that name. Muck and fuss, craft beer and burgers, two ninety five East San Antonio Street in New Braunfels. out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, pissed off, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita, do whatever you need to do this weekend. Get violent and drink. That's the White House press secretary. All right. We're getting angry calls. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I have it written down right in front of me. I should have, should have said something. Uh, people are angry. They're calling in. Uh, Muck and Fuss is the the family name of the people that own the restaurant. So that's why it has that name. And actually, the November caller we had said that, and I've written down here. I, I apologize for not mentioning that. And so please consider that corrected. That's why it's called Muck and Fuss Microbrew and Burgers, because their name is Muck and Fuss, which is a good reason, I would say. Um, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, did you get any sleet or ice? No, said 96%. Yes, said 4%. So I know, I know we, uh, batten down the hatches and all that. It did get cold. Not a lot of moisture to go with that. And that's a good thing. I'd rather be wrong that way than wrong the other way, right? You know, they always, uh, for years and years, they've said that, uh, oh, you should have a glass of wine every day. It's good for you. People saying that are often people that like to drink wine, right? New study says no. The World Heart Federation says that's a myth. In a new policy briefing, they challenged the widespread notion that moderate amounts of alcohol decrease the risk of heart disease. 
and uh, in fact suggests that the portrayal of alcohol as necessary for a vibrant social life has diverted attention from the harms of alcohol use. Moderate drinking, i.e. a glass of red wine a day, is not provable protection against cardiovascular disease. Maybe it's one of those things where the people that are drinking a glass of wine every day are also doing other things or something else that's good for their heart. You know, maybe that's... I mean, have it. If you want it, have it. We know that, you know... We know Jen Psaki's boozing it up right now. And if you had her job, you would be too. Well, we got the uh, news uh, overnight of the death of comedian Louis Anderson. He was 68 years old. And... um Here's a memory of Louis Anderson's first appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. My next guest is named uh, Louis Anderson. He's a comedian. He's making his first appearance on national television. Would you welcome, please, Louis Anderson. I can't stay long. I'm in between meals, so bear with me. I was just at McDonald's and all those statistics just changed. I went shopping today. What's this one-size-fits-all stuff? <laughs> being in California, being fat, and uh, trying to get into this California life. Went to the beach the other day. Every time I'd lay down, people would push me back into the water. <laughs> Hurry up, he's dying. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm sweating, but if I don't, I'll explode. My favorite thing is when you go over to someone's house and you're fat, they, they overcompensate. Oh, come on in, Louie, and sit down here on this concrete sofa. <laughs> or the reinforced steel lawn furniture. <laughs> do what I do, head right for that wicker. Definitely a guy that um, his fellow comedians loved. Po- tributes pouring in tonight for... Uh, comedian Louis Anderson. We also got word uh, this morning that uh, the classic rock star Meatloaf, the guy that sang Bad Out of Hell, I Would Do Anything for Love, uh, died at the age of 74. Uh, he had uh, been ill recently. Um, I thought it was kind of sad and not very classy that a lot of media outlets uh, in saying they didn't have a cause of death, had to mention that he was a vaccine skeptic. I, I, I wish we could stop doing that when people die. I wish we could give people on the day of their death just the simple dignity of, you know, respect and respecting their family and their friends. Again, a lot of people in the rock and roll world and the radio world uh, coming out with uh, tributes for Meatloaf, whose real name was Marvin Lee, a day. He was a Texan by birth and uh, had huge albums, including Bad Out of Hell in 1977 and a uh, follow-up called Bad Out of Hell 2 in 1993. Big hits like Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, and I Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That, and won a Grammy in 1993 for that last song. We uh, will leave you tonight with a little meatloaf, and I uh, hope you have a good weekend. And catch you back here Monday. I'll be on for Sean from 9 to 11, and back here in the afternoon at 4. Have a good weekend.